I'd just like to add my welcome to that of, of Megan Douglas. I'm going to do a first off apology, right? I'm not going to apologise every time I cough, so this is it. Apologies if I cough, apologies if I have to stop and blow my nose, apologies if I have to take a wee drink of water. Okay, we're all right. <laughs> I decided to go with this rather than the Brittany one, because I realised, although I was set up for the Brittany one, if I cough, I'll deafen you, and I can't actually cover my mouth with it. So we're going with this, so I hope that's okay and everybody can hear me all right. Yes, Stephen's saying no, but he's just an awkward so-and-so. Anyway, well done in being here. I know your shares got off kind of lightly, you know, but a whole week of yellow, amber and red warnings, which basically for Scotland means taps off, <laughs> vests on, and I presume you've got your big jacket looked out. I mean, it's full of obviously all these wonderful pictures of snow everywhere. I have to explain to my American family why two inches of snow causes gridlock panic buying in the shops and all life basically stopping but hey ho that's us I think we've done remarkably well and I actually want to start with a kind of big shout out to all the people not necessarily in Ayrshire because I realise that you know we have been fairly let off lightly but you know like beyond even just up to Glasgow and beyond I mean all these amazing people in our emergency services so big shout out for all our ambulance people our nurses our NHS staff our oh, first responders of first responders I sound American don't I first responders of, of any kind of type plumbers the lot so I think you know we owe them a huge debt of gratitude as the rest of us sit and just cosy in my week just really consisted of cosying in doing the thing I like best which is reading it's wonderful it's wonderful when the government says you must stay home and read a book Thank you, Nicola. Um, so, I mean, I've always loved reading. It's one, of my, it's one of my things I have allegedly read before I went to school. Doesn't that sound good? I think it was just memory, actually. But anyway, that's what my mother liked to claim. Um, and I just love books of all types because books take you everywhere. Books take you abroad to places you'll never maybe get to go to. They take you back in time. They take you forward in time. They take you to other parts of the universe, even, to other planets. You get to know people, famous people, that you'll never meet through a book. You get to be mentored. Any of you that are looking for a Christian mentor, one of the best places to find them is in the books that they write. If you don't like reading, I'll try not to judge, but if you don't like reading, um, and I realise for some people, you know, we have family members for whom reading is, is not a pleasure at all, and part of that's related to school, and part of that's related to things like dyslexia and stuff like that. I can just recommend Audible books, because they were my big find of last year, and Audible books are the way to go. Audible books are the only thing in my experience that makes housework even remotely satisfying. Get yourself plugged into a book. But... Um, it's just such a luxury, I think. I mean, if I ever buy you a book token, it means I truly, truly love you, all right? If you're ever looking for a gift for me, it's just a hint. Um, however, <laughs> I do love them. But there's one book, obviously, that encompasses all of the things that I've mentioned that a book can do, and that book's our Bible. Because all of these things that I mentioned, we can do in our Bible. We can go to foreign countries. We can meet people that we would never otherwise meet. We can go into the past. We can go into the future. We can visit the universe because God created it, and it's all, it's all recorded in there. Just a magnificent book. The Bible, when I, when I was growing up, I grew up in the Church of Scotland, and one of the things I remember from my childhood, and I've tried to check, I've tried to check the facts that I'm about to tell you, okay? So remember, this is the age of checking out facts for yourself, and not just assuming that what I see is, is true. But I've tried to check this out, but in my, in my childhood experience, in church, what happened at the start of the service, and I'm told it still happens in some churches, is that just as the, the service was about to start, the congregation would stand, and from one of the wee side doors from the vestry, which was the minister's office, 
a church officer would bring in the Bible, put it on the pulpit, kind of ceremoniously open it, and put a beautiful big bookmark in the place of the reading. And you know these things that you just grow up with? It's just a tradition. It's just what you did. It's just that you knew then to stand up and stop talking. Um, but looking, thinking about it recently, and I tried to investigate it, and one of the, the things about it is that it just gave the Bible its absolute place of centrality to everything that was going to happen. It wasn't the minister. It wasn't us necessarily. It was the Bible. So that's very, very special. It marked just the respect for the word of God. I've also been told, but this is the bit I've not been able to completely verify, is that the reason it was opened the way it was, was to signify that it's available for all now. It wasn't just available to the clergy. It wasn't just available to the few people who were educated and read. It was available to all of us. And that should still be the case. You know, that we realise that the Bible, God's word, is available and freely available in this country at this time to all of us, and we should treasure it. So this book, this, this reading of the book, you know, the wealth of knowledge and information that's in it. But way beyond that, unlike any other book that I've read, unlike any self-help book you'll ever pick up in, um, any, of the, in any of the bookshops, this book is and should be an absolute life changer for us. That what we read in here should be transformational for us. And that's what marks it out, apart from anything else, from any other book that we'll ever read. That is, of course, if we allow God to do that. And we allow the Holy Spirit to do that. I want to look at a story in the New Testament this week. Um, and a bit like Colin last week, you know, you'll maybe find it's a story that lots of you are really familiar with. Um, it's a story that's in all four Gospels, with slight variations in each of them. But I would just like to, to look at it again. If it's, if it's new to us, that's great. If it's really familiar to us, that's great as well. But let's see if God does anything new to us through reading it this morning. So I'm going to pray for that first of all. And then I'm going to see how I'm going to manage a microphone, a zip, a Bible and some paper. That'll be good. So, so let's pray first. Father God, we just ask that through your Holy Spirit, this book that we read would just actually leap off the page to us that what we read in it, either this morning or every day, hopefully, as we read your word, that you would be transforming us through it, that we would allow you to do that, that we would become more and more like Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So I'm going to read the story in Matthew's Gospel. Ah. <laughs> Hang on. You're still supposed to be all flicking through pages as well. Um, Matthew chapter 24 verse 6 I normally print it out into big size 16 print and um, I didn't manage to do that yesterday so Matthew 24 starting at verse 6 and it says here while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, 
Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out from thirty pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So as I say, it might well be a story that you're really familiar with. And I would really just like us to look at three areas this morning. We're going to look at what happened in the story. We're going to look at how the people involved in the story reacted. And then we're going to consider what's the impact of the story for us. So this woman, this woman with the alabaster jar of of perfume, is... um, I'm going to say probably a lot. The Bible's not good with the Marys. Have you noticed that? The Marys are tricky because there's the Mary, there's Mary Magdalene, there's the other Mary, there's Mary, mother of of Jesus. It gets a bit tricky. However, this Mary, this woman, is um, most probably the sister of Lazarus. Do you remember Lazarus? Lazarus was raised from the dead. Lazarus, Martha and Mary were really close friends of Jesus. If you know that story, Lazarus was sick. Jesus seems to take an incredibly long time to get to him. In fact, he takes so long to get to him that Lazarus dies. The family are distraught. But then Jesus, of course, does that amazing miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. So this is probably that Mary. And Mary comes into a room where the men are all reclining round the table eating. Now, we would have to really think back to those times. That is your first shock horror moment. Okay, If you think Muirfield Golf Club men only, times 10. That's the kind of scandal that this is. This is the scandal when this woman rocks up to this table and approaches this group of men reclining, having their dinner. Okay? I don't know how many hackles are rising right now, but you know, we're we're there. But then to, you know, not only were they horrified at that intrusion, but then to add insult to injury, she takes this jar of perfume, this alabaster, very fancy, well, maybe not even very fancy, just made of alabaster, full of something called nard, which is a really expensive concentrated perfume, cracks it open and pours it over him. Now the chances are, it says in the Bible, and commentators would say now, that it was probably worth about a year's wages. So you're thinking 20 to 35 grand is what commentators would say. I'm not saying that that's what everybody earns, but 20 to 35 grand poured over Jesus in one fell swoop. Most likely her dowry, which would be hugely important in those days. I mean, she's given up her dowry that she'll have been saving for a good marriage, which would be supremely important to her in her culture. So she's probably ruining her chances for that as well. So it's an incredible waste in their eyes. And they do react mainly with horror. That's their reaction. They're horrified that she would do this. They're scandalised by her behaviour, first off. Then they're scandalised at this waste of resources. They're full of statements and ideas about how it could have been used differently and used better. You know, we could have used that for the poor. Well... Maybe they could have, but would they have? I doubt it. Judas in particular really gets on his high horse about that when he's, he's you know, the one that comes up with, we could have helped the poor with that money. But you know, Judas, you read in one of the other Gospels, has already got a reputation for kind of dipping his hand in the communal purse. Judas was not exactly you know, all, all saintly when it came to that. So you have to question Judas' motive as well. And also, as Jesus says... You know, the poor, sadly, you will always have that. You'll always have opportunities, is what he's saying. He's not saying. I don't think he's been defeatist in that and saying, the poor you'll always have with you. But he's just being like, you know, you're always going to have an opportunity to look out for other people and to look after other folk. You have this one opportunity with me just now. This is a beautiful thing that she's done. So he defends her against all of them. And he defends all of us, as we know. 
through many, many different situations in her life. She's done a beautiful thing, he says. She's prepared him for burial. He absolutely values her and he values her actions. And he still values us and values our actions. He says that her sacrifice and her story will always be told. And we're here now 2,000 years later. And that's true. We're still talking about her. We're still talking about what she did. So what's the impact, though, of that story for us? We're not going to get an alabaster jar full of perfume and pour it on Jesus. We don't have that opportunity. We can't do that to anyone that that we know, really, and it would have the same impact. I think one of the challenges to us, I've got a few different things that I think are are challenges for us. I think it's a challenge for us to be wasteful. (laughs) And I'm not a wasteful person. Okay, people that know me will know I'm not a wasteful person. Um, I hate waste. I hate food waste in particular. I can't stand. And I, I, you know, I was going to apologise for some of the things that I say, but I'm not. Because actually, if I offend anybody, you can come and speak to me about it afterwards, but I'll still stand by it, okay? I hate food fights, right? If you're going to have a food fight, just don't include me and don't tell me about it. I think it's just abhorrent in a world where... I'm actually sounding even more angry than I usually am. Um, really abhorrent in a world where people can't eat enough and, and you see pictures of folks chucking food around at each other awful unless it's really off and that's different you know I've got a rotten egg and throw it at somebody well you do that because nobody's going to eat it anyway but that's one of my things hate waste of food so when the wee food carrier things come round for your you know putting your waste into all it's ever in there is promise are peelings and stuff like that it's never anything that goes to waste I hate waste packaging okay I mean honestly see these recent ones you know a plastic wrapped pineapple what was the other one? A slice of cauliflower in Marks and Spencer's. A cauliflower steak. My goodness me, some marketing guru did well with that one, didn't they, for a very short time. I hate all that. I, get, uh, I hate even like, putting tomatoes into a plastic bag in the supermarket. Why would you do that? They're perfectly happy the way they are. The only thing you're doing is, is just kind of collecting them together. I hate all that. I hate, right, and I'm not looking, okay, I'm going to look up there. I hate single-used coffee cup containers. Looking up, um, and I really just, you know, like, why are we doing that? As, a, as somebody who studied chemistry, I have to say, I, I love plastic. I love the story of how plastic was invented. I love the story of how all these things were invented and discovered. I believe so many of them are discovered rather than invented because God intended us to discover them. So things like medicines and plastics and all these kind of things. You know, I really believe that God intended us to discover these things because they're there and they're available. However, you know being human beings, what do we do with most of these wonderful, wonderful discoveries? Well, we just use them as selfishly as we possibly can. So, I say, not looking round, get a blooming refillable container and use it. However, there we go. Um, <laughs> so, not wasteful. My clothes get worn till they're worn now. My shoes get worn till they leak. And even at that, I think, oh, another winter maybe. But anyway, um, this waste, there's, there'll be other things. Don't, I'm not standing here look, look, shining the halo here. There will be other things where you would look at my life and think that's a terrible waste. Anyway, this is different. A friend of mine in, in 24, the 24-7 prayer movement that I'm involved in described it as a beautiful waste. This is a beautiful waste. And that's the phrase that I want us just to, to cling on to and think is just absolutely spot on. And the story actually first had a real significance for me when we were first getting involved in the Bulgarian building project. And as a church, we we fasted and we prayed for quite a period of time and we met together to share what we thought God was saying to us about this building. And this is the story that came to me when we were doing that process. And the reason for that was, you know, it just came to me that God thought that what we were doing, building that building in Bulgaria, was a beautiful thing. 
Now I would probably say, I would add on, it, was a it is a beautiful waste in the right sense of the word because it's such a beautiful thing. We would pour time and money and effort into a building that most of us might never even see. Most of us might never even set foot in. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that to take that to a church meeting and say we've got a building? We're building a building. It's in Bulgaria. Oh. But what a beautiful thing to do. And that was the story that came to me when we spent that time praying and fasting. I'll give you another example of, of a beautiful waste. I was with Ruth Hagen last weekend. Ruth was one of our youth workers here at Southside. She's now up in Orkney. She's business director for Gogo Go Olive, which are the wee knitted animals that um, the Gogo Go Olive is the company that our, our sister Julie set up in Zimbabwe, where they, they teach the ladies to knit. And then it means that they can support their families. They can give their children education. It's just the most wonderful, wonderful product. Go on their website, Gogo Go Olive. It's never too soon to start shopping for Christmas. Get onto that. But um, Ruth, in her usual enthusiastic self, was giving us some feedback on how things were going with the project. And she showed us a, a photograph of a lady called Joylene who had a goiter in her neck for 27 years. Now, this goiter was, I mean, it was beginning to affect her breathing. It was really affecting her health. It was literally out like, past her ear. It was massive. And she'd had this, I say, for 27 years. The operation to remove it, to improve her health, was going to cost £3,000. Now, we're talking about people who are living below for anything that we would consider a living wage. It's just impossible. So Ruth asked some of the women in Orkney to pray about this and to pray about it. Now, these women in Orkney actually have been praying for years for all of the go-go, all of women. But they prayed again about, about Joylene and about her operation. And the answer to that prayer was that one of the women who's been praying for her for years gave the whole amount of money for her to have her operation. Transformed her life. Now, I'm convinced that some people would probably think, if they didn't know the story and they didn't know this lady in Orkney, what a waste. What a waste. £3,000 of your own money. How long does that take you to work for or save up for or whatever? What security would that give you? And yet, what a beautiful waste to improve this lady's life. One of her children who had never seen his mum without this goiter in her neck when he saw her after the operation said, oh, do you look at my mum? Isn't she lovely? And that's just oh, so beautiful. And you know, for us, how can we be beautifully wasteful then in our lives? So we can be beautifully wasteful in, in big ways, if we can, if we've got that capability and God has blessed us in that way. We can be beautifully wasteful in the smallest of ways. We can support things like Social Bite. We can support, when it opens, Unity Grill. We can pay more for our coffees and our meals so that somebody, we pay it forward and somebody else can, can get a meal or get a cup of coffee in a cold day. We can do all of these things. But also what we can be beautifully wasteful for is our time. And we can volunteer even when it's at a cost to ourselves. We can volunteer either with a group like um, Community Gift Exchange or Give a Day or Helping Hands or any of these things. But we can be beautifully wasteful with our time just spent talking to people. Um, I don't think Jenny will mind me saying, but you know, as a leadership team, we meet once a month before this service to pray together. And we were talking about how some of us have been working at home. So, sorry, some of them have been working at home. I've clearly not been. Um, and, and Jenny was talking about how, you know, initially it's great, it's great. But then by the end of the week, you're missing people. 
You're missing that connection with people. You're beginning to feel a wee bit isolated. But for some people, that's their day-to-day reality. They're isolated. So we can be beautifully wasteful in a sense with our time and spend time with people. Spend time chatting to folk in shops, chatting to folk at bus stops, chatting to anybody. I'm a big chatterer. Chatting to anybody that you meet and just spending that time valuing them. Same as Jesus valued that woman, same as Jesus values us. How about valuing the people that we meet? Some of the most lovely examples out of, of this week of weather, though, I think has been some of the, the ways that people have responded to their neighbours and to perfect strangers and are offering lifts to people and food to people and, and all the rest of it. And just looking out, and I read the, the Herald this morning and one of the writers was saying that um, social media and all this stuff gets such a bad press. And it is at times, it's awful, the things that happen on it, the things that people say to each other. But then you see something like that and it just moves into its own. And it's people saying, you know, can anybody give my friend a lift to work? And somebody else is saying, oh, I can do that. Never met each other. You know, there are all sorts of, you know, normally we would be doing the whole, oh, I think we might do a risk assessment in that. And um, I have no idea who this person is, this perfect stranger that's going to run me from Cumbernauld to Ear. But thank you. This is great. And it just brings out that lovely, lovely humanity that is there and just needs tapped into. It would do well if we just tapped into it the rest of the year as well and not just at these crisis moments. But for our time and and with Jesus, we can be just beautifully wasteful in the time that we spend with him. And I mean, I would stand here and say that, you know, I would be the first person. I have to rejig. And, you know, something about is it if you do something for a month, it becomes a habit. So, you know, I realised that one of my habits, my bad habits that I'd get into was that first thing in the morning, A, oh, this is terrible. I I didn't actually mean this to be some kind of confessional. Right, so A... (laughs) First thing in the morning, I check Facebook, um, and then I check my email. all before I get out of bed, and then my emails, and then a couple other things, and then I get up and I read, I read the Herald online, and then I read my Bible. Now, amazingly, by the time I get to be reading the Bible in one year, would you believe the clock has gone on to about five minutes before I need to leave the house for work? Shocking. Right, there's my confession. Sorry, but what I have done now is switched it round. So now I don't, well, I still do the Facebook before I get out of bed, but that's just kind of, kind of wakes me up a wee bit. Um, but the first thing I'm going to do, and I have been doing now, is I read the Bible first. Because I was still reading my Bible every day, just in case any are alarmed. But I was still doing that. But I was realising my, my order of prioritising, it was not right. And that shouldn't be the bit that I'm rushing and finishing so that I can get out the, the door in time to get to work. But we can spend wonderful, beautifully wasted time with Jesus, whether that's here even. Some of your friends probably think you're nuts because you come every Sunday and you spend this time here worshipping Jesus. They might think you're nuts if you spend an hour or two hours or three hours in a 24-7 prayer room. But what a beautiful waste of time that is. In the, in the, world of, in the eyes of the world, it's just a waste of time perhaps. But we know that it's not. And we know that if anything, it's this beautiful waste because if we don't, if we don't, if we live selfishly, if we don't set aside these times, if we don't think about this beautiful waste, then we just become a bit more selfish, become a bit more insular, become a bit more distant from God. We wonder why he doesn't speak to us. We wonder why we don't hear from him. One of my friends in, in 24-7 prayer who, who speaks much more eloquently about all of this and all this, this notion of this beautiful waste pointed out that given the strength of that perfume, given the strength of that nard, and given the time that elapsed between that happening and the crucifixion, then the chances are that as Jesus hung on the cross, he could still smell that perfume. 
he would still be able to smell that perfume from his hair and his body. And that's just a beautiful image, isn't it? That that love that she showed him, that beautiful waste, must have been some kind of comfort to him as he, he hung on that cross. Just as we were praying this morning at the, the leader's prayer time, it just came to me, and I, you know, and I haven't, this is all that that was, was just that it dawned on me that, again, the Marys are confusing, but Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, and they went to the tomb to anoint Jesus, ready for his, his proper burial, if you like, after his crucifixion. And we know the story, he wasn't there. So the perfume was poured on him at this dinner. The perfume wasn't needed after the crucifixion. And that's just the whole point, isn't it? That's the whole point of why we're here. The resurrection changes everything. Absolutely everything. Everything else, in a sense, is a bit of semantics. Everything else is a bit of, oh, this denomination believes this, this denomination does that, all the rest of it. The resurrection, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, is what changes everything and changes everything for us as well. At our times where life is hard and life is tough and, you know, we just don't see it, you know, like, I lift my eyes above the wave. I love that song, that ocean song. It's just wonderful. But I lift my eyes above the waves. If nothing else, if we cling on to the fact that the resurrection changes everything, it's just amazing. I'm just going to pray just now. Um, I'm going to ask the band to, to come back up again. And, uh, and I suppose just our challenge to us is, do we allow this word of God to move in our hearts? Do we allow the Holy Spirit to change us and transform us, to become more like Jesus? We've all got a long way to go in that, I think. Sorry, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just, again, confession. We've all got a long way to go in that. But that's what this book can do. And that's what these stories do, I believe. So let's just pray. Let's just pray, and then I'll hand over to, to Meg and the, the band. Father God, we are still talking about this amazing story 2,000 years on. And God, if it was just a story, it would just be a story. It'd be a lovely story. It's a very nice story. But God, it's a deeply challenging story. It's a story that challenges about what we're doing with our resources, what we're doing to our world with those resources that you've given to us, the impact of our using of resources on other countries, on other people. It's challenging in what we do with the resources that we have right in our hands right now. But it's also challenging, I believe, God, in, in how we show our love to you. It's challenging in what we're just prepared to do for you, to give to you, to spend time with you. So God, I pray that as you challenge us, God, we don't in any way feel weighed down by that. We don't feel pressured by that. We don't feel guilt-ridden about that, God. We just know that just again, like Colin talking last week about the way that you, the Father, ran out to meet that son. You run out to meet us, God, because you are so thrilled with us. You are thrilled with every single person in this room. And you are thrilled when we spend time with you when we gather together to worship you, whether that's here or a connect group or any other kind of group or conference or whatever we're at, God, you are thrilled by those. You're thrilled when we spend the time to sit on our own and read your word 
and talk to you and listen to you. You are just thrilled by us, God. And that's just amazing. So we thank you for that. We offer your praise and our worship and give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.